0: Morning, good morning, good morning. We're in a second part of our Roman series. Real quick on that LeaderCast thing, we need a live studio audience, so get free food, and come Wednesday for that, And, and none other than our Ryan Hawk, you get to hear Ryan talk, among others, but we'd love for you to be a part of that. It's free, and we, because it's being recorded, you know, like NASA is a client of LeaderCast, for example, so this Thing this week it goes out to scores of companies and organizations and it's pretty cool that we get to host that so if you're not doing anything Wednesday afternoon we'd love for you to scan that code and come on out for that Wednesday afternoon. Hey I uh, want to let you know this that uh, we do the follow-up to the weekend on Tuesdays at noon at CESO in Austin Landing and that's important because uh, you get to unpack there at a more in-depth level in a question and answers type setting uh, the stuff that we teach briefly, frankly here on uh, on Sunday morning. So that's this Tuesday, every Tuesday from noon to twelve forty-five, and then beginning this weekend, we are reinitiating the discussion questions that you can use in your group. I remember uh, we, we stopped doing this for a while, and I don't know why, but. Uh, I remember a group of guys at OSU, they used it for their small group time, Uh, our five questions to follow up. They'd watch online and then they would do the follow-up. So you can download those off our website or on social media after today. Uh, Last week, I'm going to dive right in because I got a lot of material this week. Last week, we started with this verse of scripture, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone, to all who believe, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And then in verse 17, he says this. He says this, the righteous will live by the law. Is that what it says? That's not what it says. This is the radical tension in Romans. Here's this Jewish, former Jewish Pharisee saying, no, this is the message of Romans. The righteous will not live by meticulous religious moralization. Prove yourself good. No, the righteous will live by faith, by faith. And this is is the statement of Romans that is radical. Now, why must that be true? Why must it be true the righteous will live by faith? Well, beginning today, chapter 1, verse 18, all the way through chapter 3, verse 20, we're going to see in so many different ways the case made that you can't do righteousness on your own. It has to be received. It can't be earned. Because even when you do righteous things, you're screwed up still. Still. And, and that's why the scriptures say even our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. Even the good things we do are often tainted, in motives, and intentions, etc. And so Paul will spend the next few chapters describing why we have to receive it as a gift, and then God goes to work. And this is going to paint a dark picture of the condition of humanity that if we're honest, We know all too well, don't we? Remember when a jeweler has a valuable diamond to display, the jeweler knows how to make that gem irresistible. With a bright light above, the jeweler slips that diamond onto the counter above a black velvet piece And without that backdrop, you cannot see the cut of the stone, the deep hues, the intense beauty of that stone like you can against that black backdrop where it just glistens brilliantly. And you just, if you know that, you understand Romans. Because the first section of Romans is the black backdrop. It is, this is the reality of the human condition. You are more messed up than you think you are. Look to the person to your left and to your right and say to them, you are more messed up than you think you are. Doesn't that feel good to say that to your husband? Doesn't that feel good to say that to somebody today? We've probably just exacerbated some fights that started in the parking lot, so... But the message of Christ has to be seen the same way. We can't appreciate the brilliance of the gospel without the black backdrop of sin. And to the unbeliever, that is depressing. Let's just deny it. But to the believer, it is the basis of our hope. It's the basis of our hope. So let's begin with this diagnostic. Romans 1, 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what would be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Right at the beginning, Paul begins to say, the gospel is essential, not just to make you happy forever. The gospel is essential because through it, we discover the reality that God is both graciously loving and unbendingly just. He is both. And in his justice, just like a parent who has had leukemia rack their five-year-old daughter's body, and they have a wrath against leukemia, God has a wrath against sin. Why? Because it kills. It kills what he created. And the wrath of God is something that all of us who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we face that. At some point, you have to face that. You have to face that. What Paul's passion, his premise, is apart from the gospel, we are already under the wrath of God. We're already guilty. And this is so essential, gang, because this is why the relativism of America is a real problem. If I do not believe in the wrath of God, the gospel will not move me. There's no need for a savior if there's no such thing as real sin. That a holy God says, in my justice and in my love, I must do something about. And so God's wrath, his perfectly just and fair response to sin, notice he says, is a present reality. Not it will be revealed someday. He does not say that. He says it is seen now today. And what I'm going to walk you through today, Southbrook, is why? and how. That's a simple way to look at this. Why is it being revealed, and how? Now, the rest of the chapter answers those questions, and the first one has to do, there's just two truths here. The suppression of reality and the expression of worship are the the why and the how. The why God's wrath is being revealed is what draws God's wrath is the suppression of truth by godlessness and wickedness. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness. Look at those two words, who suppress the truth by their wickedness. One of the reasons we don't want to believe is, is moral. It's a moral reason. I have to change. <laughs> and I don't want to change. I don't want anybody being the boss of me. See, somebody doesn't like that. We are born with a sin nature. That was a perfect cue, wasn't it? Can you come back to second service and right at that time? Godless child. That was my granddaughter. Um, uh. So look at those two words. Godlessness speaks into the vertical dimension. Godlessness is godless. Godless. Uh, God is not sovereign over my life, and we eliminate that vertical relationship with him. Wickedness is actually horizontal, and this is the, next, the rest of the chapter. It speaks into our horizontal relationship with other human beings, and it is an elimination of human dignity, which, if to, to see where I'm going, you eliminate the vertical dimension that were made in his image, you will then de-dignify human beings, including yourself. This expresses a total breakdown of what Jesus said are the two great commandments. What are they? Love God and love people. And Paul immediately intercepts the argument, well, people don't know any better than to live this way. How can God keep people accountable for not knowing the very God they've never known? And he says, "Whoa, whoa, 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 wait. Everyone actually knows better if they face the truth objectively But they're suppressing obvious reality. Look at what he says, verse 19. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has actually made it plain to human beings. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. I don't have time to get into the cosmological and teleological arguments for the existence of God, but they simply ask the question, who is responsible for the intricacies, the symmetry, the purposefulness, the coordination of all that we see in the created realm? I mean, the, the, the perfect distance the moon is from the earth and the tilt of the earth and the tides that create the plankton that is the basis for the, the, the food. Ch- I mean, it's just unbelievable intricacy and symmetry. William Paley, the philosopher, said there simply cannot be design without a designer, contrivance without a contriver, order without a choice. This is called the clockmaker argument for the existence of God. You don't look at a watch and go, huh, there was an explosion in a metal factory and out came that watch over time. Nobody does that. When our building gets finished, no one will come up to you and say, I heard there was a designer behind all this. I thought dirt just started moving because a tornado came through here. No, we, we, if we don't suppress the truth, we know that behind a design, there's a designer. Behind the builder, there's a building, there's a builder. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. And that's why, you know, one famous astronomer said, The more I examine the vast expanse of space and the tremendous complexities of these things, the more the universe seems to be the work of a great mathematician. That's why the suppression of that truth is why Psalm 53 says, The fool says in his heart there's no God because God's divine nature is revealed in nature. It doesn't tell us everything about God. It does tell us he cares. Nature tells us there is a reality, a supreme non-contingent being that operates outside all this contingency and that being cares. But we suppress that. Verse 21. For although they knew God, when Annie Sullivan broke through the communication barrier with Helen Keller, who had had no input until that point, she said to her, first thing they said to her was, and, and now, Helen, I want to talk to you about God. And she said, good, I've been thinking about him for a long time. Although well, they knew God, he, they're, they're, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. I remember the first time I read about a dam project that, I remember I remember the newspaper article, it was in Tennessee, a dam project that was interrupted because of the discovery of a potential nesting area for a certain species of bird. And right below that article was an article about legislating the right to terminate pregnancies inside the human womb. Their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, notice what happens here. This is really interesting about America. Have you noticed this? Because you you don't have to be in America five minutes, and you say, oh, my gosh, how did he know? But notice now, what do you hear? How do we address this entity, this non-consensual reality? Now you'll hear it called the universe. The universe told me. The universe gave me. The universe is going to punish you. Why would we do that? Why would we depersonalize God? It limits the reality of accountability. A force does not have nearly the closeness and proximity and accountability of a personal, living, volitional being who is intimately acquainted with all your ways and a being to whom you will give and I will give an account of my life. Paul says this is just this whole universe thing is just so predictable. And it's really interesting that those of you who are, are have invited God's spirit into yourselves and you understand that you're a in-process restored redeemed image-bearing creation of your creator you will frequently be ridiculed for being a repressed person. You're not everything a human being could be. If you'll just open up yourself to all the world has to offer and not be so repressed, then you'll discover what it means to be a human being. But actually, Paul says, every one of us is repressed as long as we suppress the truth that there is a creator God to whom we are accountable. Because as long as we suppress the truth, we will never comprehend who we really are made in the image of God and thereby know why the world is the way it is. By not acknowledging our Creator's right to rule our lives, we are repressing ourselves, and we end up denigrating ourselves, dehumanizing ourselves, we start acting like animals. An animal says, I was made this way. I act on how I was made, my instincts. That's animalistic. And so Paul says the natural thing that happens with this is the expression of worship shifts. Verse 22, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human human being and birds and animals and reptiles idolatry. This is the thing. How do I get my faith journey really started so that I get changed from the inside out? Identify your idols, make Jesus your idol. Like that, you got to identify your idols first. We all have the seeds of idolatry in our souls because we're born with that nature. And Paul says, everyone, everyone here, everybody here worships something. Everybody does. What happens when human beings do not acknowledge God as God and follow his way? We don't stop worshiping. We don't. We simply change what it is we are worshiping. We are made to worship the creator. If we reject the creator as telic beings, as purpose-made beings, we have to have something to live for. There has to be something that grabs our soul, that envelops our imagination and devotion, and gives our lives direction and purpose. I've told you this before. I remember one time doing the funeral of a guy and the whole funeral home was scarlet and gray. The casket was scarlet and gray. Everything. All the pictures were about OSU tailgating and I remember the Lord saying, Charlie, without me, that's you. Because that would have been my God. The Cleveland Browns would have been, but they, that God's disappointed me so many times. (laughs) I gave up on that God. I literally, I know, I know Christian, I know Christian couple. They travel all over the United States to follow their team. They spend thousands and thousands of dollars and they don't give anything to their, to the work of Jesus in the world. Now, which one, which one's the God? You see, whatever that thing it is you get up for, that's what you worship and you serve it. It is your bottom line, the entity you cannot live without, the thing that defines who you are and what you do. Genesis 1.31 says, God created the world very good. All created things have good in them. We should enjoy them and enjoy them to the full. I mean, this is in the New Testament. God made everything good for our enjoyment. The problems begin to emerge when I give any created thing first place affection and attention which only your creator deserves. I love what Tim Keller said on this. He said, the natural tendency of the human heart is to make a good thing a God thing. We start over wanting it and over wanting it. I have an addictive personality, so it doesn't matter what it is, I will over want it by nature. I have huge appetites. And a God thing is something that gives you your identity, so you want more of it, right? You want more of your identity. And when that happens, the created order, he says, gets unraveled upside down, wrong side out. Human beings who were made in the image of God, made to relate to him in his world, deflect his nature and his goodness to the world, get turned inside out. Look at verse 23 again. shows humanity that has turned its back on God, bowed its head to created things. He says this is the behavior of fools. We start being Foolish. And how did that happen? Well, in refusing to treat God as God, we dis... So think about... Well, darkness doesn't exist. Darkness is just the absence of light. We disconnect from the light source. What happens? It goes dark. <laughs> you ever been in the dark very long? You, you, you can't tell north from south. You, you can't tell east from west. You, you, you start You start flying the instrument by feel in the dark there are no northbound lanes on the highway now whatever you feel whatever is expeditious for you that's there's no law there's no there's nothing that guides you transcendently And in order to suppress the truth that there is a creator to whom we are accountable and to whom we receive everything, we have to engage in non-sequiturs, illogical assumptions, irrational conclusions. Since the fundamental truth about God is being denied, everything comes undone. Think about it. If there's no God, who has the right to say what's right and wrong? You're not the boss of me. Well, in America, it's 51% morality. 51% morality. The majority rules. Well, 300 years ago, the majority of America and Europe believed slavery was right. Were they right? Were they right? Because the majority believed that? Uh, If there's no God, the Nazis were not wrong to eliminate the Jews because the majority of German people believed it was right. If there's no God, there's nowhere to locate the authority to give more absolutes, so it's no wonder we're just as, as Mark Twain once said, America is a termite and a yo-yo, man. I mean, we just, back when yo-yos were wooden, Mark Twain said that, uh, you know. <laughs> termite, wooden, okay, there we go. Uh, uh, let's say this, a scenario that, that that just is, we'll see this throughout Rome, let's say you're getting gasoline today at two, $2.50 a gallon. We can dream. And you pump 30 gallons into your car, and you're amazed by that because you know your car only holds 20 gallons. So you go to the proprietor because that can't be you tell him hey we've reduced the size of the gallon at this station he says no 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 you can't do that oh i can i've got a letter from the president of the company that says from now on at this gas station a gallon will be two-thirds the normal size and your response should be at that point no you cannot do that there is a standard of weights and measures in washington dc that says this is what a gallon it's not up for a vote It's not up for convenience and if every gallon doesn't match up to that standard, if we just ignore that standard, we've got chaos. Now here's the thing about about this, is that no one, like America, we now say that there are no moral absolutes, but nobody lives that way, nobody lives that way. Not the left, not the right, not Republicans, not Democrats, we may say we do, but we cry out for justice whenever they or a loved one is wronged which presupposes a moral standard in his book presuppositional apologetics greg bonson the philosopher said imagine a person who comes in and argues no air exists but continues to breathe air while he argues now, intellectually, atheists continue to breathe. They continually continue to use reason and draw scientific conclusions, which assumes an orderly universe. To make moral judgments, which assumes absolute values. But the atheistic view of things would, in theory, make such breathing impossible. They are breathing God's air all the time, they are arguing against him. Now look again at verse 24. We discover then how this is really interesting, because when we think of wrath, we think. Ah! I'm going to zap you. That's not it. That's not how God's wrath is expressed. How God's wrath is being revealed, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Do you know how the wrath of God gets revealed? Um, Anyone who's ever been over an obstinate individual who just will not listen, you reach the point where you go, Okay. That's what you want. That's so God's wrath is he removes his light. And what happens when you remove light? It gets dark. And God gave them over to sexual immorality. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and served sort of created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. It's not a surprise at all that the section of disconnection from God leads to the distortion of the gift of sex. This is why America worships sex. I can make an argument that more than money and power. And why Americans now define their identity by their sexuality. It's the natural step after you deny God is God. You find your identity in intimacy with others and you aren't a whole person in America unless someone wants to have sex with you. Unless you want to have sex with someone who validates you. And our modern society says without romance and sex and love, you cannot possibly live a human life that's meaningful. You can't. Brilliant book. You want to go deep on this? Because I'm not going deep yet. You want to go deep on this? Read the Pulitzer Prize winning book by Ernest Becker in 1974, The Denial of Death. We are the first society that has a widespread belief there is no ultimate future in God. We are the first society that is secular. We are post-God. There has never been a society like this that has an understanding of the insignificance of human life apart from God. As a result, there's never been a society that has put so much emphasis on finding your one true love on romance on romance we secular people still need to know that our life matters in the grand scheme of things we still want to merge ourselves with some higher meaning but if we no longer have god how do we do this the romantic solution which has built the disney company find your one true love the self-glorification that humanity needed in his innermost nature he now looked for in the love partner the love partner becomes the divine ideal within which to fulfill one's life All spiritual and moral needs now become focused in on one individual. You want to know why marriages in this country struggle? That's it right there. Your spouse wasn't meant to be God. (laughs) Spirituality, which once referred to another dimension of things, is now brought down to this earth and given form in another individual human being. Salvation itself is no longer referred to as an abstraction like God, but can be sought in the beautification of the other you remember Tom Cruise saying or or, uh, in the Tom Cruise movie where he was the agent, the sports agent, and he says to, to, to the girl, you complete me. The beautification of the other. The beautification of the other. The natural digression from disconnecting from God is now, boom, we put it on each other. I must find my true love or I I don't have a life. Now look at this. How is God's wrath revealed in the presence? God gives us what he wants. We chose things over God. Those things now will not free us. We serve them. That's why you'll eventually resent your idols because eventually you serve whatever God you give your soul to. Jesus said you will know the truth, reality, about me, about God, and the truth will do what? It'll set you free. You're not repressed. It's you suppress that truth and it'll repress you because you'll start serving gods that will let you down. And since our hearts were made to center on a one true God, the source of authentic and satisfaction and meaning, we chose other things, what we want, what we always feel we need, and the tragic state of the human condition, it was true in Rome in the first century, it's true of America in the 21st century, is we long for and we fail to find what we could simply receive and enjoy through our creator, who has shown himself to us. In His Son, Jesus Christ, we suppress the truth and give ourselves free reign to let something that was never meant to give us our identity take its identity over us. The word translated sinful desires is epithumia, which literally means over-desire. It becomes my all-consuming drive and longing. If I don't have this, I won't be fulfilled. You see, the main problem with our heart is not so much our desire for bad things. It's our tendency to turn good things into God things. Every single thing you look at that that we say is out of God's will is a good thing turned into a God thing. Objects of worship that were not meant to be objects of worship. That's why Oscar Wilde wrote one time, when the gods want to punish us, they answer our prayers. They give us what we want. Take a guy who worships his career. It's going to give him his identity. If he's successful in his career, he will be a somebody. It controls and dominates his life, his schedule, his energies, everything orbits around it, his marriage, his family, his spiritual life. The worst thing that could happen to him would be successful and to get a promotion, because that would allow him to perpetuate the illusion that he can find satisfaction and identity in his over-desires. An over-desire of a good thing, work, professionalism. Because that will further validate his misguided notion that he is heading toward real life, and he can justify the wreck he is making of his marriage, his family, his relationships, because he's pursuing his God. He doesn't even know it. His thinking has become futile. And, and Paul says God's judgment on that is he will go after us and then finally he'll go. That's what you want. That's what you want. Look at how serious this can get. Because it's been vertical so far. We haven't even got into the horizontal realm yet. It's been vertical, but now Paul shows the horizontal destruction of what happens It's like we're trying to solve a a, a crossword puzzle and we've eliminated the vertical dimension. What happens? You can't complete the puzzle. The horizontal dimension's really affected, isn't it? It's left empty. And ever since Genesis 3, it's been evident that our disconnection from our creator creates sociological implications that are huge. Verse 26, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. It is natural for women to love each other. It's natural, but not to sexualize it. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. It's natural for men to love one another, but not to sexualize it. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, God gave them over to a depraved mind that they ought not do what? That they do what ought not to be done. Now, you guys know that in recent years, so many in the Christian progressive sect have tried to explain this away. The 2,000 year understanding of that verse, which is rather explicit. My old college professor, Sherwood Smith, used to say, Class, if you want to know what's natural, look at the plumbing. That, that we try to explain this away now, that, that, that this is about act, people who are acting against their own nature. This is about people who are being promiscuous homosexually in eroticism. But unnatural relationships, the word parafusment, literally means against nature. This means that homosexual eroticism, not homosexual attraction. I guarantee you, many of you, were born with an attraction romantically to the same sex. Homosexual eroticism is a violation of, of the created nature God gave humanity, his design. And there's nothing here that suggests that Paul only has some kinds of homosexual eroticism in mind, the abuse of young boys, which was really common in Roman culture, although not so much common in Greek culture. As a very educated, very cultured, very traveled Roman citizen, Paul would have been very familiar with cultural behaviors And what he's saying is, here's a way in which God has, in his wrath, given humans over to their over desires. Where they took a good thing and they over desired it and made it into an identity thing. I'm very aware this hurts some of you that I love very much. I have looked for ways. To see that I understand this wrongly. But if Paul were here today, I'm very confident he would say, Of course, it feels right. Humanity has lost its way. We now over desire things that are the water breaching the boundary. The water's good. It just wasn't meant to flood. The Bible is really clear on this in the Old and the New Testaments in multiple areas. Active homosexual eroticism is a rejection of Jesus' lordship. And if you rejoice hearing that, then you lack compassion. If you resent my saying that, You need to question Jesus' lordship of your life. Two observations here. One is, in Romans 1, Paul chooses to highlight, first of all, sex outside of marriage. Verse 24. Before he ever gets to homosexual eroticism. Verse 26 and 27. So those of you who are swingers, you need to hear this. Because he addressed you first. Both are an over-desire, which results in God saying, okay, yeah, it'll feel right because I've given you over to that. It is an unavoidable fact that the Bible says that homosexuality in an erotic expression is a sin. But trust me, friends. Elsewhere in his letters, Paul mentions other examples of idolatrous behavior that may surprise you. Colossians 3:5, he says, "Greed is idolatrous. Those of you who want more and more and more, an desire to earn more and more, and you can't be generous because you got more and more. That's idolatry." In Galatians 4:8-9, he says, "Religious zeal. I am going to prove by my religious adherence to morality. I'm going to prove that I'm righteous." is idolatry, he says. Because who have you made the Savior then? Who have you made the Savior when you do that? When you're so religious that nobody likes you, you've made you the Savior. It's idolatry. So don't, when you hear that, you know, don't go saying, yeah, I'm so glad, because I, well, I know what will come out of this day. Did you hear MacMahon preached against homosexuality this Sunday? No. what McMahon preached against was idolatry. We will, think, we will worship what we think we need to find our identity, to fill ourselves, to give us life, whether it's greed, religiosity, or homosexual eroticism. The second observation with this Southbrook is while homosexuality is a sin, it is a sin. It is not the worst sin. Practically speaking, I would list 10 sins way above it right off the top of my head that if I could do away in church, I would do away with these. There are two ways to misunderstand God's word here. One is in an effort to be culturally relevant, to seem loving and welcoming to homosexually active people, we downplay or deny the clear teaching of scripture on homosexual eroticism. That's one way. So that's why we've had staff on our church who say can't we do gay weddings it would be so loving and i'm the bad guy because long as i'm the lead pastor here we'll be we'll honor god's word on this first where it's clear but another way is the opposite some churches that are more conservative take what the Bible says about homosexuality very seriously, but in a self righteous manner. They see homosexual eroticism as the sin that matters. And if they don't say that, they act like it is. And they make no effort to love or welcome gay people. They may try to love their Hindu and Muslim neighbors, they may try to befriend their co workers who are committing adultery left and right, but they make no effort to love homosexual people. Paul does not do either one here. He is very clear that homosexual eroticism is an unnatural over-desire. But then he says this, before the rest of you think you're scot-free, before the rest of you think you're off the hook, look what he says. They become filled with every kind of evil, greed, and depravity. Let me take you back. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful sexual lust. God gave them over to a depraved mind that they ought to, not do, they ought not do what they're doing, but they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy. I want what someone else has. Oh, now we started preaching, didn't we? To South Dayton, Ohio, keeping up with the Joneses is what that's saying. Oh. Murder, strife, division, divisiveness, deceit, malice, they are gossips. Oh my. Slanders, gossips talk about other people who are not present. Slanders put other people down, present or not. God haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful, they invent ways of doing evil, they disobey their parents. Oh boy, I, man, I was toast 45 freaking years ago then. I was. I was They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. They know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. We want Don't you be raising the standard around here. We want you to be as bad as we are. Isn't that the American way? Do you see the downward spiral of denial, disconnection, darkness, depravity, destruction, and that we are all in Romans 1? We are all there. And what is the solution? Yeah, the key that we'll see in Romans is in verse 25. It says that they exchange the truth about God for a lie and worship created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. There's the, there's the hint. Identify your idols, be honest with them, repent of them, and know that in the gospel, here, what do you discover? We are all more messed up than we could ever dare imagine. And we are all more loved than we would ever dare hope. That's the solution, friends. That's why I will preach the gospel of Jesus until my last breath. Because Rome, Rome and America can be saved. There's a song you may have heard that goes like this. I used to know, but I'm not sure now, what I was made for. What I was made for. Taking a drive, I was an ideal. Looked so alive. Turns out I'm not real. Just something you paid for. What was I made for? Listen. Open your heart that nobody here is beyond his reach. No matter how broken, he's still standing at the end of the driveway waiting for you, his son and daughter, to come home and discover you were made to worship and serve your creator forever. That's your identity. Before I close this out, I know Victoria and Bob are here. Let's give it up for them, for Victoria telling his story today. And I want to invite you to take of the symbol of his body and blood. When you take of this, this reminds you he had to die in your place, you couldn't do it. And this reminds you that he was glad To die in your place. For the joy set before him. And that joy was you. He's never given up on you. And he never will. And all God's children said. Amen. We'll see you next week.